Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. On Sunday, the 30th of September 2012, we had the Wings Over New Zealand forum meet at Don Sabritsky's place at Dairy Flat. We had a number of guest speakers on the day and the following recording was made of the little talks that were given. The only one that is missing is John Parker who unfortunately spoke before I got the recorder ready. I hope that you enjoy the following talks. Please remember when you listen to these recordings that they were recorded in a hangar full of people so the sound quality isn't perfect. Unfortunately another factor is we have a barbecue right behind where we were speaking and that seems to have picked up in the recording so I do apologize for that. Our first speaker is Gordon Glynn of the Historical Aircraft Restoration Society in Australia. Okay, Gordon Glynn's my name and I'm a, a pretty well foundation member of Harvest so I've been uh, with my partner Bob over there uh, for many many years and uh, uh, we sort of have seen Harvest grow from Basically, one airplane up to, uh, God, I don't know how many we've got now, about 20 odd. Um, our flagship being the Constellation, of course, and uh, following that, DC 3s, uh, Vampire, Tiger Moth, Drover, uh, Catalina, of course, DC 4, a uh, whole host of other various airplanes. But, uh, I'm project manager at Catalina, and I fortunately had the, uh, the privilege to fly it. So, it's been a wonderful experience for me uh, from the recovery, which we did in Portugal some 10 odd years ago, to uh, up to the day where we're um, just flying airplane for the fun of it. You know, it's a lovely airplane to fly, uh, and as I said, I've got the privilege of doing that. So it's been a fairly daunting uh, project uh, considering where it was initially in Sierra and Portugal and to fly the thing halfway around the world, uh, never replaced one spark plug, no own serviceabilities, until we got back to Australia and that, uh, decided it wasn't going anywhere then, so the carburetor had to be replaced and uh, yeah. So 89 flying hours from Portugal, uh, two and a half weeks, and a hell of a lot of petrol. <laughs> but, uh, it's been a good experience, I've got a good team of guys and uh, a couple of them here today, Peter uh, Costigan and uh, Johnny Mears. Uh, we all get along pretty good. We have our uh, differences of opinion sometimes, but uh, we do it like a team and we do it my way. <laughs> 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 um, as far as the airplane is concerned, it's, uh, uh, we're referring it back to the way it was in the military. It, uh, it, uh, when we got it, it was configured as a war bomber. So we've uh, decided to replace everything in the airplane, bring it back to the way it was when it served in, in the military. So yeah, it's uh, progressing on and uh, we're just about to do a, uh, uh, coming out of our winter uh, maintenance period and uh, going to uh, the air shed. So yeah. Any questions for anybody? No? All yours. <laughs> Thanks very much.
Our next speaker is Bob Delahunty, the president of Haas. Thanks for that. Uh, Gordon is uh, slightly older than I am, so uh, <laughs> I'm the younger part of it all. Gordon's said a lot about Haas uh, and uh, the Kathleen operation. There is actually over 40 aircraft in the, the Haas facility, which is 11,000 square metre uh, area that we have down at uh, Nilawarra Regional Airport. We just recently uh, obtained two caribou aircraft, which uh, we might bring one over here to New Zealand, one of the uh, sponsors and advertising firms wants us to bring it over here for a, uh, some uh, event here later this year, so that might uh, start some of their aircraft over this way. We have sponsors who want to bring one of our Neptunes over here, and also uh, our DC-4 when it's uh, completed its restoration. So you may see a bit of ours coming across the pond in, uh, in coming years. We've always been asked to bring the Super Constellation over, but uh, it sort of comes with a price tag of about 100000 to cover uh, that, and uh, as you can appreciate, that's not an easy thing to do. We do about 40 hours a year in the conning, uh, and it's, uh, it's certainly um, uh, lasting well. Uh, we've uh, been operating it now 16 years, and uh, it's been a great performer. We haven't had a change in engine uh, in anger at all. We've changed one just because our engineers have rebuilt one. They wanted to see it fly and sit there gathering dust, so we did an engine change. Uh, but it's been a very, uh, very solid airplane. It's only got 19,000 hours. Uh, our future plans, we have a, uh, a Convair uh, 340 project in, uh, in Tucson, Arizona. Maureen Massey, the Vice President of Haas, is here. She's the project leader for that project, and uh, she's also the project leader for our Tiger Moth, the Havilland Drover, Vampire, and the uh, F86A project. And she had 30 odd years, she only looks about 22, but she's had 30 odd years with the Havillands at Bankstown, and she was also instrumental in helping Glenn uh, Powell and uh, uh, Jerry Aiken with uh, plans for. Mosquito, we've got um, uh, all of the Hawk of the Haviland collection of uh, mosquito drawings and other uh, Haviland aircraft going back from the 20s in our care. More looks after those. We've had to have them insured for two million, and we're uh, we're building a climate-controlled environment there for for all that. We're digitising all those planes at the present time, so we're a repository for for all of that. So we've been proud. Uh, to, uh, to see the mosquito fly and, uh, and, and be in a small part uh, helping that project. Um, any questions? Anyone want to know any more? No questions? Yeah. Gee, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. Our next guest speaker is John Beeching, who is one of our mosquito veterans who had come up from Nelson for the big day the day before at Ardmore to see the mosquito fly. Welcome, John. Mosquito. I started off, as I say, the Mark 3, I 25 minutes to do all that, and uh, then I, I flew twos, 
which are night fighters up through six, were also night fighters. They went on to 19s, which had the big bulbous nose with the Mark 10 uh, radar, and you've probably seen pictures of them, and which made a very poor for taxiing and taking off because it was almost like a fighting and a straight nose sticking out in front of you. And uh, they did give us a couple of 30s, which were coming towards the end of the war, which were very nice. They had the uh, two-stage flowers in them, and they were very powerful. And from then on, I went on to Mark IV Pathfinders, which were the bombers, and ours had the big belly, which they called a pregnant tadpole, I don't know if you're familiar with the name, uh, which were made ostensibly to carry a 4,000-pound bomb, but uh, we, for us, we carried two 1,000-pound target indicators, or four 251s for practice. Talking of which, the bomber, the, uh, they had a spectacle type control instead of a stick like the Sigma on here. And the um, RT button was on the right hand side and the bomb release was on the left because the pilots dropped the bomb, I'll tell you about in a moment. And uh, over our practice range was at a place called Wainfleet Sand, which is just some escapeness. And one night, feeling a bit tired and probably a bit hungover, we went over Skipping this with the bomb doors open, and I pressed the wrong tip. So instead, of, <laughs> so instead of saying Tadio, I'm diving into the target, I dropped the 250 pound target indicator over Skipping which let the place up like day. I can assure you of that. <laughs> we got away with it. It didn't hang me or anything like that. So things weren't commonplace in those days, but at least they were forgivable, I guess, because young people did lots of silly things. Because uh, a Mosquito, by the way, is not the easiest aircraft to fly. They're very swingy on takeoff and landing. And I noticed our friends yesterday, they were wheeling them on. So I said, oh, we never wheel them on. We always did three pointers. But they said, we're not going yet. We need a few more hours. And I don't blame them for that. Because as soon as the tail would hit the ground, they were likely to uh, swing one way or the other without warning, you know. Not as bad as a bow fighter, which was terrible. They were really uh, awful things. And, um, I did do a 10-hour conversion on Beaufort, because I, 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 I had a smile when you were talking about Beaufort, because I think a Beaufort was a tourist engine is a dreadful aeroplane. We had 10 minutes dual, uh, 10 hours dual before we were on the Beaufighters, and we, well, I spoke about 3,000 feet, and we struck the cut one fan, and we just very quietly sunk towards the ground, and we got to about 1,000 feet, and said, oh, we've got to start it up again. So I said, that's not very encouraging. No, he said, on a boat, but if one engine fails, the other one takes it at the scene of the crash, and I rather think that's probably right as well. <laughs> so there we are. Uh, all my experiences with boat, uh, well, Mozzie were pretty good. I didn't have any shaky doos. I never, I never scratched one of the Mark ones. And uh, at the end of my Mosquito flying career, I had the numbers, serial numbers, 55 different Mosquitoes in the lot book, which I think must be getting close to a world record. I don't know. So there we are, I, uh, as I say, to me it was a lovely aeroplane to fly. The seats were the most uncomfortable you could ever imagine. The backrest was a sheet of armour plate that just had a slight angle forward because don't forget, in a Mark 10 radar equipped uh, Mosquito, there was absolutely no space at all. The navigator got in after the pilot naturally, but the, the, the two control boxes for the radar swung down like a, a, a couple of suitcases and uh, if there's a case of emergency, I could never, never have got out of the thing, so we just sort of hoped for the best, and we got the best by the sound of it anyway. And we had everything else. We had uh, a 
G-Box, which is a navigational aid. I don't know whether you're familiar with G-Boxes, but they're very good navigational aids. And there was that pack behind the pilot seat. We also had uh, they put Lorraine towards the end of the war before we were going to Japan, which you never went. And um, we had Sarai, which was a homing device of the German fighters. But uh, we packed using those in and we found they were using that the German fighters at home onto us, so we gave that one away. But all of this took up a hell of a lot of space in the Mosquito. We carried uh, 716 gallons of 100 octane fuel, which kept us afloat for about seven hours, I guess. And um, a Merlin uses a gallon a minute, by the way, and it's all very improving, which uh, we didn't have to pay for, thank goodness. And uh, we had a 100 gallon drop tanks under each wing. But when we were right at the end of the war, when we packed up on 637 Squadron, they changed the number to 109, and we were going to Okinawa to bomb Japan. And we had 200 gallon drop tanks then, which was massive, you know, it would give us over nine hours of duration. But luckily, the Americans dropped the big one, and we didn't have to go. But by that time, they didn't anyway. So after that, they put me on to uh, instructing on BAPS, which is Beam Approach Beacon System, which was ideally suited for night fighter crews because you need somebody to operate the radar up the back of the aircraft and the pilot driving. And we, I did that for a year after the war on Oxford and Anson's, which were both nice airplanes to fly. And uh, when I got out a year later in 1946, I gave it away and never bothered to fly since. So there we are. Any questions? There must be. What did you think of yesterday? Eh? Marvellous, marvellous, absolutely. Sound of those Merlins, it was absolutely gorgeous. And I hope I've got a recording on my camera of it because I'll play it over and over again. I see, I see according to the paper today. Eh? I see according to the paper today. Feature in the Sunday Times. Oh, are we? Well, the price of favour, isn't it? I don't know. It's very good. We couldn't fly it yesterday because you only had two beers. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that one. No, no, no. Could I ask how many beers would you need to get you out there? Well, we used to drink enormous amounts of beer during the war. They say, you know, alcohol's bad for you, but I think I'm going to disprove that because I'll be 90, I'll be 90 next year. <laughs> Anybody else? You were on the news last night as well. Eh? You were on the news last night as well. Oh, gosh, we are famous. Although we did get a bit of famous a few weeks ago when uh, we went to London to see the uh, unveiling of the Bomber Command Memorial at Green Park, which is a beautiful thing, it really is. I was really glad. I was, one of the things I've really you know, treasured in my life to see that these wonderful eight foot figures cast in bronze of a Lancaster crew. And um, a few days after they unveiled it, the whole plinth that they were standing on was smothered with, with poppies and crosses and squadron crests. So a lot of people looked upon those as a sort of a closure, I think. It was absolutely gorgeous to see. So that was quite a ceremony. Unfortunately, it was 28 degrees in Green Park and the uh, humidity was about 101% of men that were suffering it. We waited an hour for Queen to turn up, which he did. She only stayed about five minutes. Pulled the cord and just took off again. So there we are. It was, it was a very, very good ceremony, and um, I'm really thankful that we went. So you're not looking at renewing your pilot's license after yesterday? Hey? Not looking at renewing your pilot's license after yesterday? Oh yes, I did. Yes, I took a pilot's license out because my brother-in-law, as a bloke who married my sister, he spent his life instructing on light aircraft and. Uh, 
because you always have a few minutes up your sleeve, you should tack them together and give me a bit of time and I'll manage to get my private license after the war. But it lapsed after about a year, I think, and uh, I found that when there was nobody shooting at you in the middle of the night, all the fun went out of So I gave it away, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Next up, we had a great talk on the Vickers Vincent and Wildebeest airframes from Murray Lane. Um, Murray uh, goes back a long way with the Wildebeest and uh, Vincent type. He, he started the project of the, uh, the Wildebeest that's now at Wigan, didn't you, Murray? And uh, Murray, I'd like to have a few words about uh, uh, about the Vilpis. Good morning, everybody. Um, I thought I'd better say a few words because actually this is what you've all come here for, to have a look at the Vincent before it um, disappears from our shores. Now, this project um, started in, uh, in the mid-60s. I joined MoCAP in 1968 and after doing a restoration of a pop jewelry engine, I said, um, you know, is there another project I could take on? And somebody pointed to this big pile of tubes lying up against one of the fences for back in OTAP. He said, oh, that's, that's a wildebeest there. Would you be interested in doing that? And I thought, yeah, what's a wildebeest? Then I remember um, Captain Johns in one of his Biggles books talked about wildebeest in one of his stories in the Middle East. Anyhow, I started in 1968 with just um, the biggest piece was about so long, and uh, bit by bit over um, the next seven years, I built up the uh, fuselage. We had a few um, uh, decks, we went into Martin and I got a couple of top centre sections which we'd never seen, and a bottom centre section, more undercarriage, um, spars and things like that. Sometime after I started, Don came up to me and says, uh, Murray, um, You've got lots of spare parts there, can I have what's left over? And I said, yeah, sure. So this aircraft here has actually been built from the leftovers. I, I know that I have at least six aircraft, because I have six of the same components. I can't remember the numbers now, um, but in 1974, uh, I was banished out to Ardenmore for a year. I worked on my own there for a year every Saturday. Nobody came to see me, nobody took any interest. But MoCAP finances were uh, abysmal in those days. And in the end, I walked away in disgust. Some years later, there was a arrangement made between MoCAP and uh, the RNZAF that the RNZAF would build a wing for the Mosquito, which is now MoCAP, in exchange for the Wildebeest. So the Wildebeest, to the stage that I'd done it, went to went south, and it was in storage in Wheatons for over 20 years. And then in uh, 2003, they brought it out and they started it as their third major restoration program. The other two were the P40 and the Oxford. Most of the stuff that I've done on it was actually um, pulled off. The, the, the airframe I had has got a lot more than what's on this aircraft because I got everything that I could find, whereas Don just got what bits were left. But um, Don has progressed this way beyond my wildest dreams with the um, rear fuselage 
uh, covering over here, which I never saw anything of. We only had a, a, a thin post, uh, no rudder, only bits of, uh, of um, some spars and um, uh, well, I mean, uh, the, the ribs and things like that. Spars were plenty off. We went to Ashland's, no, we went to Martin on the same trip and uh, there was a spar growing through a tree in one of the houses there and the guy said, oh no, you can have that. So Monday night we got an axe out and spent the next half hour chopping it out of the tree. <laughs> then I was walking down the path through the garden and I, I saw this round object, there was a rose growing out of it. And I said to him, I said, that's a Pegasus housing. I wouldn't mind having that. Well, sure, so he just took the rose out and gave me the housing. <laughs> The um, engine that we had for the Motat one, which went south, was a sectionalised um, engine. Um, probably a little bit more complete what that one there is. But uh, I went down there again and, um, uh, earlier on this year. I go down every few years because um, I'm also writing a book about Fort of Eastern Vincent's. I've been collecting information for 35 years. So while I'm here, if any of you people here know anybody or know anything that might be of use, I'd be sure appreciate it. Um, you could probably contact me through Dave. Um, I'm sad to see this aircraft going overseas. Because um, New Zealand was a bigger user of Wildebeest uh, and Vincent's apart from the UK, and a few Wildebeest um, had operated in Spain uh, during the Civil War. Uh, it's not a very nice aircraft to look at. Um, in fact, it's quite ugly with a blunt nose, but. It was designed in 1926, and the prototype was built in 1928. And then due to uh, problems with uh, lubrication, um, they used the Jupiter first, um, the project sort of stalled for quite a few years. And the Mark I built at Vista to come out in 1932. And the first of those went to Singapore. And um, I guess a lot of you would know that uh, 36 and 100 Squadron in Singapore actually operated against the Japanese. Um, they spent years and years practicing torpedo drops and never used it. Um, when they uh, went into action in Malaysia, they were dropping bombs. And on the first excursion, over half the squadron was lost. So they combined the, the, two, the two squadrons, and uh, over a period of months of rear action, um, they, the last one was destroyed in Sumatra. But in New Zealand, we had 12 new aircraft. They were the first aircraft in the Royal New Zealand Air Force. And then New Zealand ordered some Wellington bombers. And uh, later on, England said, you can't have them, but we've got some spare built of Beast and Vincent's, which you can have. So we got, we ended up with um, 39 Builder Beast. Some of them were the Mark IV, which had the, the um, First S engine, sleep valve engine, was the first aircraft that went into service with. They didn't last for very long in New Zealand, there was very little donation. I think the engines probably were the problem there. And they also got 60 Vincents, which came from the Middle East. Now, um, in those days, Britain, when they were ordering aircraft, used to order twice the number they wanted. And all the aircraft around that time, including these aircraft here, had a a maximum life of a thousand hours. Some of the aircraft actually made it. Some, I think, uh, about the shortest I saw was three and a half hours. But a lot of these were in storage in the Middle East, and a lot of the Vincents that we got actually were stored aircraft. They didn't see any action until they came to New Zealand. Um, the other ones, of course, did see some service. And of the um, 
uh, 61 aircraft in the India Adventure, two of those were actually made from spare parts. So I thought I'd just let you know that that's the story of what's going on here. And um, I think it's a marvellous project and being the only ones in the world, I think that uh, New Zealand should be congratulated on being able to preserve them. Thanks very much for your attention. Thank you very much, Murray, for um, the, highlighting one of the greatest aircraft that ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the Wildebeest of Vincent, and, uh, and they've got a, a great story in New Zealand's history. Uh, just, um, just want to point out Dave Starr, just there by the hanging doors, uh, seeing if anybody wants to um, come up and see him, that, that's in there. Uh, he, he wasn't on the uh, original list, he's a, he's a latecomer, so... Uh, Dave's a very interesting uh, top dressing pilot and he featured in our Wings Over New Zealand show recently. You may have uh, listened to his um, story. And um, just lastly, I just want to um, hand over to James Kitely, who's here from Australia. Uh, very well known um, article writer and, and uh, journalist and, uh, and JDK on the forum, a much respected member of the forum. Um, yeah, James. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Dave didn't know I was going to do this, um, so it's probably fair to set me up like that. Yes, I'm, I'm JDK on the forums, I write articles, mostly uh, try and get them right, um, talk to a lot of people, and sometimes we do get them right. Um, I just wanted to say, I've come over from Australia, like, I think we've got a, any Australians put their hands up, please? Yeah, I think we have the largest overseas contingent, and we're probably making the most noise. Um, I think we've all had a great time in the last couple of days, anybody who was uh, at Armour yesterday would have been seen, well, I, I can actually say I've travelled the world seeing all the air shows. That was definitely in the top 10. Um, I seen the mosquito fly 16 years ago, but that was definitely a game um, flying on. I've not seen very often, and it was pretty stunning. So, did everybody have a good time yesterday? <laughs> Are we having a good time today? And I think one of the key reasons, big thanks to our hosts today is Fritzkies. It's a terrific collection, it's a wonderful opportunity to see this sort of stuff as we are and be fair and everything. And, and I know Dave won't cover that often. This is the thing, Dave will make sure everybody else gets the thanks, but we're all here because of Dave and Dave's forum. And I'd just like to make sure that we acknowledge Dave, can you put your hands together for the guy who made that He never pushes himself forward, he's always incredibly helpful, he's been a phenomenal contact for me in New Zealand, he's helped an enormous amount for anything I've needed. Always got time. I think most of you out here know that Dave's always happy to reply to a question, however, in my case, stupid it might be, I don't know about you. Um, and I really would like him to give you, get a bit of the spotlight and rush a bit as well as the sun doing. Um, and on that, uh, the forum is the other bit of that. It's, uh, it's Wings Over New Zealand. I think everybody's here in direct or indirect because of Wings Over New Zealand forum, is that right? And uh, it's a great forum, it's very well behaved generally. Um, Huge amount of information, um, multiple page spreads on all sorts of aircraft and fascinating stories. I find it a huge resource. Um, and of course, Dave runs it as well. And I just would like to say that uh, um, we're obviously uh, making a donation to the Sabritskis today, which is absolutely right and proper. But I'd like to uh, pass the hat around for the Wings of New over New Zealand forum because I know Dave won't and will ask, and he should, um, because it's a, it's a terrific thing. Um, I'm going to put a, a bit of money in up front because um, I'm going to see if we can get Dave up in one of the aircraft over. Um, at the airfield over there, because we've got some vintage aircraft. It's a beautiful day to go flying at the end, and I think Dave deserves to get a free flight. What do you guys think? Yeah. So, 
uh, I've put in enough to cover the flight, and anybody else who wants to put in some money for the Wings Over New Zealand Forum, I'll uh, put it in the hat here. You know I'm from Australia, so make sure I don't get to my car too quickly. Um, but I will promise to hand money over to Dave at the end of all that. And uh, just one more time, please, uh, let's hear it for Dave. Thanks, James. Um, yeah, thank you. I, I don't know what to say. It's uh, awesome. You, you're all awesome. Everybody on the forum, all most people anyway. I've become great friends, and and, uh, and it's, it's a wonderful um, community of people, and, uh, and and I just love it. And, and thanks everyone for tuning out. It's great. Um, I just want to say thanks again to Robin and her team uh, who have put up so much work. And uh, Robin, do you want to? I just want to say that the funds today for us are going to Starship. Robin says that the funds today are actually going to Starship Hospital. I think that's wonderful. For those uh, from overseas who don't know, Starship is the um, main children's hospital in Auckland, and uh, it's a fantastic place. We all tucked into lunch, and then a surprise guest arrived. I was the only one there that knew he was coming, or in fact, I wasn't even sure myself. I had invited him around about two months before, and then I reminded him a few weeks out, and then I saw him on the Thursday before, and he still wasn't sure even on Saturday whether he could make it, but he was very keen all the way through. And our special guest was Mr. Jerry Yagen, the owner of the Mosquito KA114. Jerry was over from the States and, uh, of course, there for the uh, big launch and the air show and to see it fly. And it was an absolute privilege to have him arrive and see everybody's faces just astonished jaws dropped everywhere that they just could not believe that jerry had walked in to our little forum meet it was brilliant uh and i managed to convince uh, jerry to say a few words and so to round off this uh wings over new zealand show here's jerry yagan uh my name is jerry yagan and uh, i happen to be visiting in new zealand for a special occasion <laughs> <laughs> got here uh, thursday morning at 5 30 and uh, a few hours later, I uh, was out at Ardmore and saw a uh, wonderful airplane fly for the first time, something that I'd gotten involved around seven or eight years ago. And uh, I was amazed at how many people were there for an air show yesterday on Saturday, uh, where it flew for the general public for the first time. It flew the first time on Thursday, uh, and a few hours after, my wife Elaine and I landed, and then it flew. It didn't fly on uh, Friday, too strong of a crosswind, but then it flew three times again on Thursday. Uh, uh, Saturday. I got started in this a number of years ago. Uh, Warren Denholm of Abspecs had just finished building a P-40 Kitty Hawk for us. And he said, well, what do you want to build next? And we had acquired a few airplanes that are not all that, that exciting. They were very nice, but they weren't anything fantastic. And uh, so then he told me, he said, there's, a, there's an elderly gentleman here in Auckland that has built some molds for a mosquito and uh, he's going to try to build himself a flying mosquito. And have you ever thought about something like that? And uh, I said, gee, that a mosquito, that would be interesting. Uh, there are, I knew that there weren't any flying and decided uh, that that would be of some interest. And I said, Warren, talk to him. Let's tell me if you think it's a viable project. So um, sight unseen, uh, I, uh, 
decided to get involved in building a mosquito. We found one in uh, Canada, in Western Canada, was not in very good condition. Matter of fact, the wing is 51 feet long, containers, shipping containers are 40 feet long. In order to make it fit, we use a chainsaw and cut the wing cap off. Uh, we now have the problem of getting it back to the United States. We can't use the same trick again. For <laughs> But uh, it was a long project, uh, and um, all of us spent a lot of time. It was mainly looking for parts, looking for the elusive pieces that we needed to finish it. Uh, the engines were found in Australia, uh, two engines uh, on the Mosquito engine mounts with all the accessories. We were quite fortunate with that. We sent them the Vintage V12 in California to have them overhauled, uh, incidentally, if you're interested. To over, if you have the engine and if you have all the accessories and all the bits and pieces to have a mosquito engine overhaul is 130,000 US dollars. Uh, so that gives you an idea of, and it has two by the way. <laughs> uh, and so that gives you an idea of how the money rapidly started building up. And um, Warren Denham would send me uh, photographs every month and he'd send me a detailed list and I would send the money. And that was a good deal, and it lasted for a number of years. And as we got closer to the end, uh, the monthly amounts came larger because he started throwing more manpower on it. And then uh, last uh, February, I think January, February, he decided he was going to pick a day somewhere out there in the future, a long way distance off. And, uh, and, we're, and he was going to announce to everybody in his country that he was going to fly the airplane on that day. So all of a sudden, pressure began, and a tremendous amount of pressure. In the last couple of months, the team at Ardmore, they were working days and nights just to be able to make that deadline and to get the airplane to fly, so they wouldn't disappoint a lot of people. And uh, I came over, uh, there was a film crew with us, and they'd been filming the airplane for about six, seven years. And uh, they'd come over to New Zealand every few, uh, every year or two, and they would catch up on some films, and Warren would send some video to them. And they're making a documentary, and hopefully it'll show New Zealand, Australia, and uh, all the Commonwealth countries. Um, we, I let Warren Denholm select the, uh, the markings on the airplanes, and uh, he selected a New Zealand squadron, and I think, that's, I think that was a wonderful choice certainly made it much more popular here. Of course, the aircraft, I never saw, our aircraft that flew yesterday never saw combat. It uh, was built in Canada and never left Canada during the war. It ended up on a farm in pieces and uh, the, the major parts of it were the metal pieces that survived. We also, along the way, we found another mosquito that was in Kenora, Canada that had been uh, buried uh, and several people told me about it and using in-ground radar we found the airplane, we dug it up. Unfortunately, nobody told me that just before they buried they threw gasoline on it and lit it. <laughs> so there was not a lot there to be found. But uh, So anybody have any questions on what's it like to build a mosquito? <laughs> uh, incident, uh, it, um, It'll probably fly for about another month if you get a chance to be at the right time down at uh, Ardmore. Normally a good time would be late in the morning or early in the afternoon. They have, they have to fly five hours off on the airplane. They're getting very close to that and then they're gonna do some continued test flying, some stalls, single engines and stuff like that. Then we're gonna take it, take it apart. It's gonna be disassembled. The wing is uh, 51 feet long, I believe. 
and so a 40-foot container is not going to work. Some of the things that we're toying with or trying to do, we know that the American Air Force brings C-130s and C-17s down to Christchurch for Antarctica. They come down loaded with equipment, but they go back home empty, and I've talked to a couple of generals and their advice. Talk to our senator or our congressman, and I'm going to do that when I get back. Uh, there are containers used in the United States uh, for railroad transport, and they can be put on trucks also. They're 53 feet long, I believe, so that's a possibility. Or um, a low flat roll on roll, a uh, flatbed to put on a roll on roll off ship. Uh, but then we'd have to build a box around it, and uh, still something might happen. Another container might fall on it or something, and the wing would be irreplaceable. The, the fuselage and the tail, we can put in a 40-foot container along with the engines. What kind of question? No, I'm not leaving it in uh, New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you get back to the United States, what's your ambitions then? What sort of major things you'd like to do there with the aircraft? Uh, we, we need to get it back by around January. We're going to assemble it. We might ask some of the uh, people from Aspects to come down and help us with it. And then we might ask Keith Skilling or Dave Phelps to come over and fly it for us, do some demonstration flights. And then we'll train one or two pilots. I would hope to eventually end up flying it also. But it's more important for us to get somebody else that can dedicate more time to it to fly. And then we're going to take it to a few air shows, um, major air shows around the country. And we would really like to take it up to Canada. When, uh, about two years ago, Warren was of the opinion that it could be finished by Easter 2011, and we were going to take it down to Wanaka. But he, we didn't make that day, or he didn't make that day. And now it's winter coming, and at that time we were going to take it after Wanaka. With summer coming, we were going to try to take it to England. And we could have figured out there were some people in England that probably would have paid to bring it to the UK. And then it would fly in England during the summer months, during the air show season. Well, now it's going to be going in the winter time, so that's not a possibility. Do you mind wanting to go to the UK or Europe I don't know. It, possibility. It's something I don't want to even think about. I, I, I like the idea of sharing it with people in the UK because it's probably the biggest concentration of enthusiasts for an airplane like this. Uh, though I was very impressed yesterday with all the enthusiasts that were in New Zealand. Uh, but it's, it's a very valuable airplane, and if something happened to it uh, along the way, uh, take it apart again, reassemble it, take it apart again, reassemble it. I don't know. It's, it's made out of wood, you know. <laughs> you wear out the bits and pieces. Um, something else that was talked about yesterday, have you got any ideas of what you might like next? Warren Denholm and I talked about that, and we came to the uh, combined conclusion it's going to be very hard to top this. <laughs> it, it really is. You know, if you think of an airplane uh, that was flown during the Second World War, is there an airplane that would be more popular or more exciting than this airplane? At this point, I pointed to the Vickers Vincent, which Jerry was standing right next to. <laughs> The, the problem is, I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> so much less a bunch of Americans. So, um, you know, we, um, I, I personally, I'd like to have a Junkers JU87. JU a lot of people would like to see that. Would it be more popular than Mosquito? Probably not. You know, it would be 
maybe rare, maybe, I don't know. I think I'd still rather have a mosquito. So it's going to be hard to top this, if it'll ever be topped. So, well, I, think, I think after watching the um, old Flesia girl a few years ago that I had at um, Oshkosh, mm -hmm. um, you know, the lightning, and then yesterday, even removing the emotional side of it to New Zealand's plane or whatever, uh, I know what blew my socks off more, definitely. Uh, yeah. I mean, Glacier Girl was cool, but it wasn't a mosquito. <laughs> no, but imagine it this way. Supposing it was the first in almost 20 years, first and only flying P-38 Lightning in the world. Yeah. Then Americans would get excited about it, okay, if it's something equivalent like that. And that's how you all got excited about the mosquito. Yeah. So, but it's a nice airplane, uh, the, the uh, Glacier Girl. Any other thoughts? Is it to go under uh, many modifications when it's in the States to fly or will it pretty much stay as it is? We hope, we hope we're not going to have to do any modifications. Um, trying to think what the FAA might. I don't know, they'll come up with some stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, yeah, if, if you all know what a um, uh, AD Skywriter is, uh, we have a Skywriter. And uh, recently, the American Federal Aviation Administration said because of the weight of the airplane, because of the horsepower of the engine, it needs to be, for safety reasons, it needs to be flown with a f uh, crew of two. Unfortunately, our Sky Raider only has one seat. <laughs> when that was pointed out to them, they, they said, well, we didn't realize that, but you got a good point there. <laughs> so it has now been a year, and we've still not flown it. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, I, I would hate for the Civil Aviation Administration down here to come up with the same idea. Uh, we have a uh, ME-262 um, that was built up in Seattle, and we had it delivered to us last October, and we're still trying to get one of our pilots certified to fly it, and it's just bureaucracy. And it's, and it's governmental red tape, and nobody wants to say, uh, in the government, say, I'll step forward and I'll say, yes, I give them permission to fly it. Uh, so, but we're getting close. They're, they're running out of excuses. So we're wearing them back. Any, anything else I could tell you about y'all's favorite airplane? Uh, I'm just um, curious. Last time that I saw you here was when you came out uh, to pick up the DH-89 repeat, Dragon yeah. Repeat. How's that going? Has that been popular in the States? That is very popular. It, it's not the kind of airplane that you can fly any great distances in easily. But um, we had it marked, uh, we had it painted, of course, if, if you haven't seen it, in uh, the colors of the royal family. Uh, Prince Edward VII, I think it was, and with the wedding here recently in the UK, uh, that, that made the airplane very popular. Matter of fact, the day after the wedding, we had a uh, wedding reception, and Kate and Will were not able to make it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but they sent their regrets, <laughs> which really surprised me. Um, and uh, so it, Americans love it, and it's a, we fly it at our museum. Our museum is about four hours south of Washington, D.C., and we fly it a lot, and I'll, we don't sell rides. Uh, and so uh, I'll pick out you know, maybe a half a dozen people and say, would you like to go for an airplane ride? And especially women, they love the story because uh, it's, uh, it's a romantic story with an American woman that marries the a prince or the king of England, and uh, so it, it tells a great story. 
uh, and it's very, very popular. And when people tell me and they ask me, why do, why do you send your airplanes to New Zealand? Why don't you restore them here in the United States? And I give them as an example uh, the Dragon Repeat, and I said, look at that, look at the workmanship. Could we do that here in the United States? I think we would have a hard time in America doing that. Uh, but it's, New Zealand is a can-do country, and uh, they, they can do stuff like that. And even like these airplanes here, we, you would not find as many airplanes in a hangar in the United States under restoration by a small family. Uh, and uh, so it's very rare to see this. Uh, you, I found it in one place in America, and uh, it's a different attitude of the people then. That's up in Alaska. And uh, they have limited resources up there, and uh, they'll, they'll do this type of stuff. They don't restore airplanes, unfortunately. <laughs> yes? Um, so do you, do you find the NZCAA much easier to work with when you've got a new type compared to the uh, Yeah, um, I think so. I think it's easier for a Warren Denham and such to get the airplane certified than if we were to do it in the United States. Um, but. Uh, we, we can eventually get go about doing it. it. It would be even easier for us if it was an American airplane because the FAA understands Americans' aircraft more. And there have been other people before them that have, before us rather, that have certified airplanes or recertified airplanes. Yeah. yeah. Jerry, there's a, um, thinking of American airplanes and a special one, there's a pretty nice X-Arrington adventure sitting out in the islands. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're, we're trying to get some American naval aircraft. We're dealing with the Pensacola Naval Air Museum. Unfortunately, in the United States, every Navy airplane in the world belongs to them. Um, there's a Wildcat that is very close to uh, where I live in the woods, and it could be rebuilt to fly. But we won't, we won't touch it, because uh, we know as soon as we get it all done, Pensacola will say, deliver it. You know, so. I was going to say that um, American crowds will never see the mosquito damage pattern the way we saw it yesterday. That's no. That's most of the crowd. Yeah. In the United States, you cannot fly an aircraft heading toward the crowds like that or flying that close to a crowd line. Uh, the FAA, was, as soon as the pilot landed, would take his license away. But, uh, yeah. so. Anything else? Well, come visit us in America and come, come take a look at your airplane. <laughs> Thank you. I'd just like to say thank you very, very much, Gary, for, um, for that little talk. And it's just an absolute, absolute honour and privilege that you've turned up and joined our little group here. There's actually a bigger group earlier. We did actually have about 80 people here, but some of them sloped off. So. But uh, it's been really fabulous that you've been able to pop in and see these aeroplanes and um, meet a few people and uh, really appreciate it. Thank you.